Come on, somebody. Who's excited today that Jesus didn't stay dead? Somebody give me a shout. Let's go. Hey, guys, I'm so glad that you're here. If I haven't met you, my name's Taylor. I'm the lead pastor, and I have the great honor of proclaiming to you the greatest triumph in human history. And I just want to remind you right off the bat that the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. You don't have a dead Jesus. You have a living Jesus. You don't have a dead hope. You have a living hope. And if you're fired up this morning, you can give me a great big Pentecostal shout in church today. Okay, I figure 10 o'clock, this is the charismatic service. First service, a little sleepy on me, but we're gonna have a good time, guys. And I am just so thrilled that you are here. We are talking today about the greatest accomplishment, the greatest triumph in human history. On Good Friday, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the living Son, God incarnate, pierced and crucified, bleeds, suffers, breathes his last and dies, is laid in a tomb. And right when it seemed like all hope was lost, three days later on that first resurrection Sunday, life came back into his body, breath came back into his lungs, his eyes popped open, the stone was rolled and Jesus rose to new life. Let me tell you this right off the bat today that because Jesus is alive, friend, you can have your sins forgiven because Jesus is alive. You can have eternal life. Because Jesus is alive, you can have peace with God. Because Jesus is alive, everything about your life can change here moving forward from this moment. And I, by the best of my ability and by God's grace, I'm going to get you connected to that story. And I'm excited about that. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 1, just as kind of an initial thought from the scriptures, he says this, do not be afraid. Think about that for a second. In a world that's hell-bent on living in obsessive fear, Jesus Christ says, do not be afraid. Why? I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and hell. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what we're celebrating today, that death couldn't hold him, the grave couldn't keep him. And because of that, you don't go through to the grave if you belong to Jesus, but you go through it to be with him forever. And so what we're gonna do today, everybody, we're gonna talk about seven reasons to believe in the resurrection because I wanna do this for uh, several reasons. One of them is, uh, you know, it, the, the resurrection of Jesus is not just a nice idea. I don't know if you knew that. This isn't just kind of like a nice figurative, symbolic moment that Christians hold to. This is actually a legitimate, historically verifiable fact of history that Jesus Christ was a real man. He really lived. He really died. And he really rose again three days later. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Because here's the thing. I want you to believe in the resurrection, but not just believe in it. I want this thing to rework your entire life. And here's the thing. Jesus is too good for you not to believe. He's too good for you not to believe. So that's what we're going to talk about. I hope you had your Wheaties this morning. I hope you got a little bit of the Holy Spirit in you, a little bit of caffeine in you. Buckle up because here we go. Seven reasons why Jesus really rose from the dead. Number one, let's start into this. Jesus' body never showed up. His body was never produced. Why do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? It's because his body never showed up. Think about it from a historical perspective. If we were able to produce the dead body of Jesus, Christianity would never have gotten off of the ground. True or false? If Jesus' body was able to be found, it would have been put in a public arena. Everybody would have seen it. Jesus is in fact dead and Christianity would have never gotten off the ground. Of course, that didn't happen. And, and Christianity was so explosive because Jesus' body was never actually produced. There were three main groups of people that were contenders for, for being a thief of the body of Jesus as it lay in the tomb. You have Rome. We know Rome didn't steal it because these Roman guards were actually assigned to the tomb of Jesus to guard it with their very life. And oh, by 
the way, if the Roman seal on the stone was broken, the body was stolen, these guards would have been examined and executed for failing to do what they were supposed to do. They are quite literally trained Navy SEAL, Jocko Willink, Leif Babin, like trained killer crazy guys. And they are guarding the body of Jesus with their very lives. We know Rome didn't steal it. They had nothing to gain by the resurrection of Jesus or Jesus' body being stolen. We know the religious leaders of Jesus' day didn't steal the body. Why? Because they hated Jesus. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the political, political, the religious political institutions of Jesus' day all hated him. They were responsible for his crucifixion. In addition to this, if Jesus' body was stolen by them, that would put fuel on the fire that would point to the fact that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And that's what they, that was the last thing that they wanted. So we know the religious leaders would not have stolen the body of Jesus. If they could have found it and they were very motivated to do so, they would have been able to give somebody a lot of cash. They would have been able to make somebody very wealthy and they would have portrayed publicly Jesus' dead body to keep Christianity from infecting the people of God any further, but of course they couldn't do it. Why? He is risen. We know Jesus' disciples, the third group of people that could be a contender for stealing the body of Jesus. We know they didn't steal Jesus' body. Why? Because they were the first skeptics of the resurrection. I don't know if you know that or not, but if you've ever been skeptical of the resurrection of Jesus, friend, you are in very good company. His original followers were the first one to question if it actually happened or not. And so they're terrified. They're locked in a room. They're freaking out. They're not expecting anything to happen. In addition to this, we know the Jewish person in Jesus in his day had no idea or concept of a singular resurrection in the middle of human history that was literally outside of their theological worldview. Their, their concept of resurrection was that it was a national resurrection following the culmination of human history, that the whole nation of Israel was going to rise at the same time. They had no idea, no concept, no worldview uh, available for them to say that Jesus could rise in the middle of human history. Furthermore, you You've got Peter, James, and John, and these dudes, if they were to steal the body, they would have had to get past the Roman guard to do so, okay? This is like you trying to break into the White House with your buddy. You would get no for further than the front lawn, and like the Secret Service version of Gerard Butler would just show up and just... Bam, hits you right in the throat. You'd be done, right? They couldn't do it. Why do I want you to believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Number one, because the body never turned up. Second reason to believe in the resurrection of Jesus is because his followers were martyred. Jesus' followers were martyred. Peter, James, John, right? The rest of the 12 apostles, the 120 in the upper room, these are the guys and the gals that would have actually stolen the body of Jesus. We know that they didn't because they ended up suffering torturous, murderous ends to their lives because they would not recant on this idea that Jesus is Lord. He is the ruling, reigning, incarnate God, King of the entire created and uncreated orders. Sin has been atoned for. Death has been defeated. Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not Lord. They claim that to their very death, saying that I have seen him risen from the dead. Peter, in fact, history tells us that he was crucified upside down. Before his execution, the executioners came to him and said, hey, dude, just say 
Caesar's Lord, deny Jesus that he actually rose from the dead, and we'll let you go, you'll be totally fine. If tradition's right, it says that Peter looked at him and said, you know what? I don't only want to die, but I want you to crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die in the manner in which my Lord was killed and crucified. John, boiled in oil, exiled to the island of Patmos. James, head cut off. Literally in the first century, we have hundreds and thousands of people who were martyred for their faith in Jesus. Here's where this hits you and I in the 21st century modern era. If you would only be, you would only be willing to take a lie so far, but when the gun is pointed at your head and the person holding it says, you know what, I'm going to kill you. Before I do that, I'm going to take out your wife and your kids in front of you. And all you have to do to get out of this is say, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Jesus is not Lord. At that point, right, if this didn't happen, if they didn't see Jesus rise from the dead, what are they going to do? They're going to be like, okay, hey, here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, like this, this escalated quickly. Uh, you know, maybe I didn't really literally see him rise from the dead. It was just kind of like in my heart sort of a thing. And, and can we just move on? That's what we would do. But of course, they didn't do that. Why? They faced their own death. Why? Because Jesus had defeated death and there was no reason for them to actually fear their own death. The death of the martyr is a massive problem for the person that would say that Jesus did not, in fact, literally rise from the dead and appear to hundreds of people in the first century. Number three, the third reason why I want you to believe in the resurrection of Jesus is because Jesus appeared post-crucifixion to hundreds of people alive and well. And in fact, Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the work that we think is produced closest to the resurrection of Jesus within about 15 years, Paul, uh, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he's speaking of the resurrection of Jesus. And he says, Jesus appeared to Cephas. He appeared to James. He appeared to me, and oh, by the way, in verse six, Paul says, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Over and over again, this happens in the writings of the New Testament. Why? Because they're like, hey, listen, go test it right? Like go actually figure this out. Like, yeah, Jesus, he appeared at one time to 500 people and here's the city that they are at. Like go find them and go see if their story contradicts itself, right? He's literally, he's naming these people and these cities that they live in because Paul is trying to get them to actually go and investigate for themselves to see if the story checks out. And this is important because several people, uh, what, what we have to do actually, if we look at the resurrection of Jesus from a historical lens, to get to any other conclusion other than the fact that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead, we have to come up with a bunch of stupid, crazy, ridiculous ideas. One of them is this idea of the hallucination theory. And so there's this idea that, you know what, Jesus' disciples, they didn't actually see Jesus literally rise from the dead because that's an impossibility, which yes, it absolutely is. That's the whole point. But but they actually, they hallucinated, okay? Uh, like they, they all just were hanging out with Joe Rogan, got a hold of some mushrooms, and like they saw Jesus at the same time risen from the dead. Now, here's the thing. As somebody who has done hallucinogenics back then, not, I don't do it anymore, but as somebody who has, I can tell you from experience that, that oh God help me, uh, please come back next Sunday. I'm glad you're here. Uh, right, right, but like as somebody who's done them, I can tell you that hallucinations are private experiences, not public experiences. And all the honest people in church that were alive in the 70s said, amen, right? It's not, it's not a, it's not a private public experience. It's a private experience, right? That's the reality. This is why you have one dude over here in the corner 
tripping out seeing a pink elephant wave at him. And this dude over here is running around bat crazy because he's got a killer tractor that's trying to eat him up, right? That's, that's the point. So this doesn't make any sense. The hallucination theory doesn't check out. Furthermore, what other skeptics will say is, okay, so Jesus, like, they didn't hallucinate, but uh, you know, it was a figurative rising that Peter on that first resurrection Sunday, what happened? He woke up, he was in a moment of prayer, was looking out on the horizon, and he saw Jesus, the Son of God, rise from death in his heart and appear before the Father, and he knew everything was okay. To which is a problem on many different levels. Number one, nobody's gonna die for that. Peter crucified on a cross, historical record of it, dead, right? You don't do that because you see Jesus rising from the dead in your heart. In addition to this, we have many firsthand encounters, eyewitness accounts of the resurrected Jesus throughout the scriptures. In fact, Thomas, you look at Thomas's story, he gets a bad rap, doubting Thomas. How would you like to go down in history as that guy? Uh, but you know, here he is, he's, he's like, you know what? I'm never gonna believe unless I see him. Right? He's like, I don't want a vision. I want to see him. I want to touch him. I want to see the holes. And so Jesus, he picks a fight with Jesus and Jesus wins. Go figure. I would encourage you, don't do that or do it. He'll win and it'll be good. But uh, right, like, like, so he's like, I'm not going to believe unless I see Jesus. Jesus shows up and he's like, what's up, playa? You know, what now? Right? He's like, Thomas, look, touch me. Look at the holes in my wrist. Take your fist and put it in my side. He has breakfast with people. He has lunch with people. He has dinner with people. This is not a figurative rising. This is a literal rising. We know that because of all the firsthand eyewitness accounts of people who said that he actually rose from the dead. The fourth reason to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. This is a good one. Jesus' mother, brothers, and followers worshiped him as God. Jesus' own family worshiped him as God. How do you know he actually rose from the dead? His kid brother, James, ends up becoming a leader in the church and writes a book in the New Testament claiming Jesus to be God. How many of you growing up would say that your, your brother reminded you of Jesus, right? <laughs> I think for my sister, I probably reminded her of Lucifer a little bit more than Jesus. So that's the reality. But what happened is you literally have Mary, you have James, Jesus' kid brother, his brothers and sisters, his followers worshiping him as God. This is an absolute incredible evidence towards the resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because for the first century Jewish person, for them to worship any other God besides Yahweh was sin at the absolute highest level and would assign you to the eternal fire of hell. The first commandment in the Big Ten, right? Thou shalt have no, uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. They, would, they wouldn't have worshiped Jesus if he didn't actually rise from the dead. They wouldn't have worshiped him as God. They wouldn't take that chance. His mother, brothers, and followers worshiped him as God. The fifth reason I want you to believe and trust in and lean into and throw your life in the direction of the resurrection is because Jesus really lived and he really died. Now this is important because uh, skeptics, again, this is one of those dumb things that we say to try to uh, come up with some sort of coherent answer that would be a different one than the historical answer of Jesus actually raising from the dead. One thing that modern people will say is that Jesus was a historical figure, or he was a, he was a mythological figure that the Christianity basically hijacked the resurrection from pagan cult religions and projected it onto Jesus, that Jesus actually in fact, never uh, existed as a historical uh, person. 
Uh, but of course, that, Bart Ehrman, he says this, who's a, who's a New Testament critic and a non-Christian, he says this about the evidence pointing towards Jesus' existence. I think the evidence is just so overwhelming that Jesus existed, that it's silly to talk about him not existing. I don't know anyone who is a responsible historian who is actually trained in the historical method or anybody who is a biblical scholar who does this for a living, who gives any credence at all to any of this. Furthermore, we have accounts from around Jesus's life, uh, the day and age in which he walked the earth of historians that are actually writing about him existing, right? We've got Josephus, who was a, 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 a Jewish historian around the time of Jesus. We've got Jesus showing up in the writings of Pliny the Younger, of Tacitus, of Suetonius, of all of these extra biblical people who had nothing to gain by writing about the existence of Jesus. And from their writings, straight out of antiquity, we learn he was a prophet, he was a teacher, he claimed to be the Christ, and he died under Pontius Pilate, and his followers claimed to have seen him from the dead, right? You could chuck the Bible and literally just look at these historical extra-biblical writings and come up with all of that, bro. So here's the point. If you want to be like the secular equivalent of the Christian that constantly is putting the sandwich boards out in their front lawn with the dates that Jesus is coming back, you know? You know what I'm talking about? That like is stoked about like UFO sightings and keeps putting copper in their ear to keep the government out. If you want to be the secular version of that, right, then by all means, you can believe that Jesus wasn't in fact a real man and that he didn't actually legitimately die. So you, you, you can't do that if you're going to be a responsible modern uh, truth seeker. And so you might say, okay, well, Jesus, Jesus, he lived. Sure, I'll get to there. But he didn't die. Now, this is what we uh, scholars have called the swoon theory. And I'm glad that you brought this up because let me deal with this one for a second. The swoon theory says that Jesus didn't actually, in fact, die. And this is laughable on many different levels. One, the Romans were legitimately trained killers, okay? Right? Like, like the best of the best. They had perfected crucifixion right around the time of Jesus. In addition to this, we know Jesus was scourged. What would happen is the executioners, uh, as they were scourging the victim, they would have this tool called the cat of nine tails. It was made up of a leather handle. There were leather straps that came off the end of the handle. And on these individual leather straps, there would be a mixture of metal balls and bones and hooks. The balls would serve to tenderize the flesh. The hooks would then reach into it and rip it from body. It was such an excruciating, horrific, torturous experience that many men actually died right there. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't survive it. But Jesus, after he was scourged, the, the gospel accounts tell us that he was crucified, that he carried his own crossbeam up to the place of Golgotha, the place of the skull where he had Roman nails driven through his wrists and his feet, bleeding and bloodied, he died. And furthermore, we know that Jesus, one of the Roman soldiers who was standing by at his execution, who was a professional at telling if people were dead, who has been around a lot of death, he took a spear and he thrust it underneath Jesus's rib cage and pierced his heart sack so blood and water came out. Now, you do not have to have a degree in anatomy and physiology to be able to say, yeah, probably dead, you know? Like, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody stabbed in the heart, I hope not, but they tend to not walk out of that very well, right? He was absolutely dead. Furthermore, after that, he was taken off the cross and wrapped in about 100 pounds of burial cloths, of herbs, and of spices. And so he was laid into a tomb. He would have asphyxiated at that point if he was still alive. And uh, in fact, uh, uh, John Stott, he says this about the swoon theory. This is great. He says this, are we to believe that after the rigors and pains of trial mockery 
flogging and crucifixion. Jesus could survive 36 hours in a stone sepulcher with neither warmth nor food nor medical care, that he could then rally sufficiently to perform the superhuman feat of shifting the boulder, which secured the mouth of the tomb, and this without disturbing the Roman guard, that then, weak and sickly and hungry, he could appear to the disciples in such a way as to give them the impression that he had vanquished death. Next slide. That he could go on to claim that he had died and risen, could send them into all the world and promise to be with them unto the end of time. That he could live somewhere in hiding for 40 days, making occasional surprise appearances and then finally disappear without explanations. Such credulity is more incredible than Thomas's unbelief. All right, so Jesus was a real man, he really lived, and he really died. The sixth reason why I want you to believe that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened is because Jesus Christ has single-handedly dominated human history for over 2,000 years. He is the center point. He is the pivotal point. He is the dominating figure along the landscape of human history, the most famous person who has ever lived. And here's the thing. Christianity has not only survived everything that's been thrown at it, but it's actually thrown thrived in the midst of it, right? We have thrived in the midst of political pressure, of political opposition, of poverty, of sickness, of martyrdom, of death. The gospel continues to rise in the midst of every culture, every people group, and not only face the opposition, but thrive in the middle of it. Why can you believe in the resurrection? Because the fact that you're in the room and I'm preaching Jesus to you is an absolute miracle. How are we here? Right? It's, it's an absolute miracle that we are here talking about this. And so today, Jesus, over the past 2,000 years, has 2 billion plus people claiming to have surrendered their life in his directions. Billions of people over the last 2,000 years have surrendered their life in, in his direction. CFD Mule, he says this about the resurrection of Jesus. The birth and rapid rise of the Christian church remain an unsolved, get it, unsolved enigma for any historian who refuses to take seriously the only explanation offered by the church itself, which is what? He's alive. He's risen. He didn't stay dead. H.G. Wells, who's a historian, a non-Christian, he also says this, I am an historian. I am not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. So, boom, put that in your spot pipe and smoke it, deal with it, right? Like, literally, here's why I want to do this, guys, because so the burden of proof doesn't just land on the Christian. If you're here, you're a, you're a skeptic, you're an atheist. Dude, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for coming. But you have to actually provide a greater answer. Like, how do we explain the birth and the rapid rise of the church? How do you explain the death of the martyrs? How do you explain the reality that Jesus' body never showed up? How do you explain the reality of his life and his death, right? The burden of proof, it actually lands on the critic. It lands on the skeptic because you are morally obligated to provide an option that makes sense if, any, if, this, if the claim of the church isn't actually true. This is what we have to do. It backs us up into a corner and forces us to come up with a better option. 
And, and so what, 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 what needs to happen? Yeah, let, let me just talk about this for a second. What, what actually needs to happen? The worst thing that could possibly happen in light of all of this, and people do this all the time, right? I get it. You know, there's a lot of hype around Resurrection Sunday, around Christmas. These are our biggest Sundays attendance-wise. But here's the thing, man. Let me just tell you, Easter Sunday isn't just this Sunday. It's every Sunday for the Christian. And here's the worst thing that you could possibly do is just show up to church today and get through the service and go have dinner at grandma's tonight and move on with your life. That's the absolute worst thing that you could possibly do. What do you need to do? You need to actually step up to the empty tomb. You need to encounter the risen Jesus and allow him to absolutely change and wreck your life. Because here's the thing. So you might be here and you might be thinking, well, yeah, you know, I believe in Jesus. I believe he lived. I believe he died. I might even believe that he rose again. But it hasn't infected your heart. You've got no affection over this thing. This, ha- this thing hasn't actually reworked your entire life. And you know what's offensive about the, the historical record in the Gospels? That means that you're not actually believing it. Right? Because literally everybody that encountered the risen Jesus in the gospel accounts, they ended up just going bonkers off the wall. I've seen the Lord. Like, he's actually alive. Their entire life was reworked and reoriented. And so many of us, you know, you're here in in this room right now and you're like the disciples were, right? You're living in unbelief. You're living in fear. Your heart's a mess. Your life's a mess. You're locked up in the upper room, right? And literally, we live in this culture where there's so much fear being preached at you all the time and you've succumbed to it, right? And, and we're just living in that space. What needs to happen is you need to come to the tomb, man. You need to see Jesus alive and risen from the dead. When that happens, everything changes. Let me explain this to you from the resurrection account according to John. In John chapter 20, uh, it's, it's the first day of the week. It's resurrection Sunday, the first one, Mary Magdalene of whom Jesus actually delivered her and cast out seven demons from her. She loved Jesus. She was a follower of Jesus. She goes to Jesus's tomb to mourn, meaning what? She wasn't expecting anything, right? She wasn't expecting anything. She's going to mourn. She's like, yeah, like this sucks. This is bad, but I'm at least gonna go be with his body. She gets there and she sees the stone rolled away. She looks in, the body's gone. She freaks out. She hears something behind her. She turns around. She thinks she's looking at the gardener and she says, sir, where have you laid him? And this voice speaks out in her direction. And he says, he says, Mary, And Mary recognized right there that it was the voice of Jesus. And what does she do? She freaks out. Everything about her life completely changed. Guys, her soul caught fire. Right there. Everything changed, right? And this is why the worst thing that could happen for you today is just to come here a nice, dude, the worst thing that people ever tell me is, nice sermon, pastor. It's like, what? Are you joking? Screw that. I'm not going for a nice sermon. I want your life wrecked by this thing, man. She literally, she sees Jesus. She goes from fear, unbelief, and terror and doubt into her soul is on fire. And she becomes the first evangelist for the empty tomb. Look at verse verse 18. She says, says this, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Friend, that's the gospel in five words right there. I have seen the Lord. 
hard, right? This is, this is what you need to understand, friend. The Christ, Christianity is not just a good idea. Christianity is not about a doctrine. It's not about a theology. It's not about words on a page. Christianity is about experiencing the resurrected Jesus who holds the keys of death and hell, who beat death, who forgives sin, who, who gives eternal life. It's about experiencing him. It's about looking into the empty tomb and seeing what is not there. Which, by the way, did you know the stone wasn't rolled so Jesus could get out, but so that you could get in and see what isn't there so you could experience resurrection power, be transformed by it and bring it to the world around you? In fact, the empty tomb's the one attraction that brings tourists from all over the world for them to see what isn't there. Jesus shows up and he's walking through walls. He doesn't, need the, he doesn't need the stone to roll. It wasn't so he could get out of, so you and I could get in and that this thing could get into you and wreck you for the rest of your life. Listen, you cannot any longer live in the state of lukewarm, apathetic Christianity because the resurrection of Jesus gives you hope. It gives you freedom. It gives you the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Everything about your life changes from here moving forward. We we got too many Christians in the church living like atheists. We live like God doesn't actually exist. We profess him with our mouth, but we don't live like Jesus actually beat death. What happens if you actually live like Jesus beat death? You get a boldness. Nobody can shut you up. Right? And, and because, because why? Because that means that sin doesn't have the last word in your life. Come on, somebody, I'm preaching now. I was wondering if it was, this was gonna come back on me this service like it did first, and here we go, right? It doesn't mean, like, like because Jesus rose from the dead, sin doesn't have the last word in your life. Shame doesn't have the last word in your life. Your divorce doesn't have the last word in your life. Your porn addiction doesn't have the last word in your life. You're an alcoholic. Alcohol doesn't have the last word in your life. Right? Death does not have the last word in your life. Jesus does. Come on, you can get excited. That's okay. Some of you just looking at me like, dude, I, like, I don't know what to do for you, man. We might need to, you know, if you're sitting next to one of those, check their pulse for me really quick. We might need to get... Christianity is not about believing only. It is, it's important. It's about experiencing. I have seen the Lord, Mary says. I've seen him. I've experienced the resurrected Jesus. Her soul caught fire, which leads me to my seventh apologetic for the resurrection of Jesus. Why do I want you to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, friend? It's because Jesus is still changing lives today. He is still alive. If he was alive back then, that means he's alive right now. If he was breathing back then, that means there's breath in his lungs right now. If he rose up and defeated death back then, that means it's still under his feet. Jesus is still alive. He's still walking the planet. He's still changing lives. He's still altering destinies. He's still bringing families and marriages back together. He is still on the throne of heaven. And one day he is going to come back to earth and put that great glorious foot down and declare over all the earth, mine, as he renews everything. He's still alive. I have seen the Lord. And friend, let me just tell you, I have seen the Lord. 
I have seen him, I've seen Jesus. And in fact, if you're here and you would say that Jesus Christ has done something in my life that's transformed me, that's changed me, something has happened, I've experienced a miracle, like God has changed my life, I've seen the risen Jesus and I'm forever changed. If that's you and that would be your testimony in church today, would you just go ahead and so loud and proud, lift your hand up all over this place. Come on, man, let's go. You have 150 miracles that you have to wade through if you can get through my first six. How do you explain it? Jesus is still alive and he's still changing lives today. Listen, I have seen the Lord. Guys, I have seen the Lord heal the sick. I have seen the Lord restore marriages that were beyond repair. I have seen the Lord heal broken bones and broken bodies. I have seen the Lord look at a doctor's proclamation over a family that you're never gonna have a baby. Jesus steps in, says, screw that, here's a kid. I have seen the Lord set me free from a porn and a drug addiction for almost a decade. I have seen the addict go free. I have seen the oppressed bound up in his love. And friend, I have seen firsthand the last four months as my family is navigating through the loss of our daughter that we buried in December. Jesus supernaturally come and grab us by the hand and walk us through this. I am a living testimony that Jesus is alive. There's no reason I should be here right now. Oh, I thought people were supposed to lose faith in God when they suffered. Turns out that's when you find him. Why? Because he's near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Why don't you see what he can do for you? Why don't you see what he can do for you? Why don't you see what he can do with your sin? Why don't you see what he can do with your brokenness? Why don't you see what he can do with your pain? Why don't you see what he can do with your sickness? Why don't you see what he can do with your suffering? Why don't you see what Jesus can do with your doubt? Listen, man, this isn't why I wanna say that is because this isn't just something for spiritual people that have their lives figured out and are all put together. The empty tomb is still there waiting for you to show up and look in. And to any and all who would be willing to go there with Mary Magdalene today, I'm telling you, you're gonna find it's empty and Jesus is risen and he's gonna do the same thing in your life that he did in hers. That's the inheritance of everybody willing to go there. So lastly, let me, let me just finish with this. Why does the resurrection matter? Why does the resurrection matter? Okay, so Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. Why does the resurrection of Jesus matter? Friend, it's very simply this. Let me just preach the gospel at you before you get out of here. You have a resurrection coming. And that's either a really good thing or a really bad thing. You have a resurrection coming. What the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus do is it, is it preaches at you, you're not only gonna die, surprise, welcome to church, you're gonna die, but you're also gonna live again. You're also gonna rise again. And then what, right? The only thing that's gonna matter in that moment as you pass from this life into the next is not did you just believe that Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again. Friend, the devil believes it too. Yeah. 
right? All of hell believes that Jesus really lived and died and rose. They were there. They saw it, right? And it doesn't save them. It doesn't save him, right? Why? Because they don't treasure it. They didn't cherish it. The only thing that's gonna matter when you stand before God one day as you pass from this life into the next is did you treasure his death? Did you treasure his resurrection? And let me just tell you, friend, you look in that empty tomb and you encounter him, that, that great, brilliant, smiling, shining face like the sun. You see the nails, the holes in his wrists and his feet, the hole in his side. You see his arms stretched out in your direction. It is impossible not to fall in love with the risen Jesus. He's too good. He's too good not to believe. He's too good for you to waste another day not living surrender in his direction. By the way, how's you being king of your life working out for you? Not good? Yeah, you kind of suck, right? Like, let's just be real. You suck at it. You're horrible, right? That's why everything sucks. It's because you are the arbitrator of all truth. You're the king. You're the Lord of your, own, your entire life. Jesus, what he's doing is he's liberating you. He's saying, that's my throne. And when I get there, I'm not gonna beat you down. I'm not gonna beat you over the head. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna bless you. This work of my death and my resurrection is for you. It's for you. Why don't you come and see what he could do? Let me just close with this scripture in Acts chapter four. Would you stand with me? Come on, put a little pressure on me so I shut up here pretty quick and get you out of here on time. Let me leave you with, with this scripture in Acts chapter four. Verse 12, because Jesus rose from the dead, this bears eternal significance in your life. This verse right here, the worst thing that you could possibly do if you have not made this decision to surrender your life in Jesus' direction, repent of sin, come to him for salvation. The worst thing that you could do is just walk out of here. These words that I'm about to read over you demand, they're not asking for a response, they're demanding that you respond and he's too good not to believe. Look at verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I love that, right? There's salvation. You're not getting saved anywhere else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Friend, as awesome as he is and as much as I love him, Elon Musk is not gonna save you, right? Like we can figure out how to colonize Mars, get out of here. Turns out that planet's gonna blow up too. Joe Rogan loved the podcast. He's not gonna save you. Secularism, it's not gonna save you. Biohacking, it's not gonna save you. Reverse aging and death, you are getting out of here dead, right? That's the reality. There is, and then what is the question? There is salvation in no other name than the name of Jesus. And he is extending that great and merciful offer to every single one of us in this room saying, hey, you wanna come look? Still empty, bro. It's, it's still empty. Come and look. And maybe... God's just waiting for some of us to just drop the ego for a second and just say, man, Jesus actually really rose from the dead. I see it and I believe it and I'm ready to surrender my life in his direction. Let me tell you, there's only one name under heaven by which we're saved. You've got a resurrection coming. My question for you is, are you ready 
right? Are you ready? And if you cannot say confidently yes, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. And in fact, if that's you, you're saying, I'm ready to repent of sin. I'm ready to come to the empty tomb, encounter the risen Jesus, exchange my shame for a robe of righteousness, exchange my doubt for faith, exchange my past for his past and victory. Would you just go ahead and raise your hand? You're saying, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. We just wanna celebrate with you. Anybody here in this service saying, I'm ready to surrender my life in Jesus's direction for the first time. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, I'm like those disciples in the upper room. Uh, I'm freaked out, I'm living in fear. I'm not really, Jesus doesn't have my heart. You're living in fear, you're living in doubt, you're living in worry. I just think what Jesus would wanna say to you, friend, today is do not be afraid. Behold, look, I'm alive forever and ever. Drop your doubt. Let me change you forever as you step into the empty tomb with me and experience the same spirit that rose me from the dead. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you that you sent your son. Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you loved not your life unto death, that you bled, you suffered, you died, and you rose again. Lord, we thank you for the empty tomb. Jesus, and I just declare, God, over every impossibility in this room right now, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Over every sickness, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Over every area of doubt and unbelief and apathy and spiritual lukewarmness and lethargy and laziness, the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ. Lord, we look in and we see it still empty. And Lord Jesus, we see you standing there alive, risen. God, we thank you, Jesus, that you rose again and that we are united with you now in your victory. And oh God, would you help us live this thing out into every sphere of society? Lord, we want to be like Mary that brings the cure to the rest of the world around us in Jesus' name. And Lord, we celebrate you as your people today. And all God's people said with a great big shout, amen. Hey, Hey, everybody. I'm so glad that you came. Thank you for coming. If we can pray for you for anything, we've got a prayer team off to my left, your right. We would love to do so. We have a baptism class happening right over here off to my right and your left in just a couple minutes. If you have not followed the Lord Jesus in water baptism, it's not optional. He commands it. This is a step of obedience. We're going to teach you about baptism and get you baptized next weekend. I can't think of a better thing to do on this Resurrection Sunday than to begin to walk towards your own water baptism. Love you guys. Thank you so much for coming. Have a great week and remember to be kind to those that God has placed around you. We'll see you next Sunday.